if you had to get rid of one forever and keep one forever out of Ness and Dormer and World in Motion. I love World in Motion, but Ness and Dormer. It takes me somewhere. The Germans and they're in trouble. Alcantara couldn't do it. Lidica probably could. And he had the equalised. It's Gary Lidica. Welcome, everybody, to the Final Countdown, a podcast looking back at great finals within the game of football. I'm Lewis here, my co-host Adam. Hello. This might be what the whole podcast has been leading up to. Mm. This World Cup. I am literally excited. I honestly think this is the most anticipated one on a personal level from me and you. Yeah. All the FA Cups, all the Euros, everything has been leading to this it's moment. All leading to this point. Yeah. So with that, I really don't want to waffle on like I normally do because uh, the structure of this podcast for our regular listeners is ever so slightly different only because I've left us loads of room just to vamp so it's a lot less structured than normal so um, just to give a bit of context about World Cup 90 I know I normally start with you Ad but we're, we've got so much to cover I just yep. want to get straight into it so um, I'm sure everyone knows this but it was hosted in Italy therefore that's why it was called Italia 90 mm-hmm. um, which even that it's just got the exoticism one of the few World Cups that has retained that yeah, it? exactly. It's not like they call it Mexicana, like, no, 80... No. Um, you refer to the 86 six, World Cup or yeah. the 70 World Cup, but you, this one, it's Italian night. It, yeah, it's strange, isn't it? And yeah. I don't know if that's just a British thing. Maybe, yeah, I don't know, yeah. Th- there's something very, like, crystallised about its identity that sets it apart from everything else. So uh, it was a copy of the previous World Cup final with West Germany playing Argentina. Yep, yep. So uh, same team's making it. It's the only back-to-back rematch ever in World Cup history, right? which I thought was quite interesting. Uh, Germany had qualified first from a group consisting of Colombia, Yugoslavia and the United Arab Emirates. God, but I didn't they, know UAE. Cool. Yeah, it was I their first that. ever World right. Cup. Uh, they finished bottom, but yeah. they weren't a disgrace by any means. Germany uh, then beat the Netherlands. They beat Czechoslovakia and, uh, of course, England to end up reaching the final. Uh, but they only kept one clean sheet the whole time, which that I thought right. was interesting. Even right. the United Arab Emirates. They were a much them. more attacking German side than previously. Bingo. You, you've got yeah. it. Exactly. And we'll, we'll reference that a lot uh, when it comes to the game and the kind of tournament as a whole. But yeah, this Germany team, we referenced in last week's pod that very workmanlike, very efficient, very German. Yeah. This was the one where they pushed the boat out a little bit more and kind of got their just Well, they had a justifiably great striker. Yes. And well, their team in general is, is really strong, much better than the 86 team. Having said that, so Germany obviously needed extra time uh, in one of their games, but they had managed to get the victories in the others. Uh, Argentina, however, were not vintage. Uh-oh. So they uh, qualified third from their group, yeah. which I was surprised to find yeah, out. Yeah. I knew they obviously historically lost to Cameroon in the opening game, yeah. uh, which was a huge shock, not only because yeah. it was Cameroon, but these were the reigning world reigning champs. champions, yeah. still with Diego Maradona, yeah. Claudio Canizia, who, uh, Legend. as we've referenced two podcasts ago, uh, when Benjamin Massing took our title <laughs> Scythes him, <laughs> the villain that you love to hate, yeah, absolutely annihilates Canizia. Yeah. Um, so that was obviously a shock. I think but that's when people fell in love with Cameroon. I think you're right, moment. yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, there was, I mean, there was other great moments. The, the Miller goal when he nicked it off the keeper mm-hmm. and obviously the England game, all the rest of it. But that was the moment. It was just something gr- satisfying yeah. seeing an Argentinian get absolutely <laughs> annihilated. It, it is an insane tackle, even by... My, my boot fell off, Ref. If you, yeah, it had been foul. <laughs> Benjamin Massing, the most innocent man <laughs> in Italian history. Uh, so, as we said, they were in a group of Cameroon, Romania and the Soviet Union and they only finished third. Wow. So that is quite astounding that they were that poor. So one win, one draw, one loss in the group. They then beat Brazil, they beat Yugoslavia, and then they beat the hosts, Italy. But they did require extra time against Yugoslavia and Italy. Mm. So they were having a difficult time of it getting through, yet alone the the group stages. But they did manage to take Brazil and Italy, and even Yugoslavia weren't a bad team. So uh, the Brazil game, I remember that, because Kanija scores the winner, doesn't he? That's right. And Barry Davis does iconic commentary in that, where uh, Kanija goes round the keeper, and it's a really tight angle. And Barry Davis either decides to like just hold or can't think of anything else to say and he just goes Kanija scores <laughs> iconic commentary it's brilliant it's That's brilliant. so good but Barry he, Davis he's like oh, he's not going to talk about the fact he went around the keeper no just going to wait wait and wait okay I like that his version is like filling the gap whereas you get somebody like um, Martin Tyler Martin Tyler yeah. where he holds after the Aguero yes. yeah, yeah, and yeah. he gives it space to breathe yeah. whereas Barry Davies is like right I need to fill this can't have dead air not in this moment Argentina like I said were not a vintage, vintage side they only scored five goals in the entire tournament wow. which as you That's referenced nuts. last week was the amount of goals Maradona got on his own the, uh, the tournament before so it was a record low for a finalist I'm assuming Maradona was on his way down from a drug point of view. I th- yeah. Or on his way up. Who knows what he was taking me? <laughs> well, Downers, uppers. Yeah. <laughs> get whatever he get his hands on at that time, probably. First game he was up, second game he was down. <laughs> he was just snorting coffee, probably, in the teammates. I only couldn't get hold of anything else. Um, so he wasn't the same player, I think, is what I mean. No. And, and obviously by 94, which I know is four years later, but by 94. I mean, he was off his face. Yeah, yeah. He's. Yeah. he's just a shadow of his former player. Yeah. Uh, but nevertheless, still had the aura around him, even if he can do it. I think he gets two goals in this tournament. Right. So he still like scores right. over a third of Argentina's yeah. whole team goals, yeah. which, yeah, is crazy. But uh, Germany was still managed by a man who had been there and done it as a player, Franz Louis Beckenbauer. Yeah. But Carlos Bellardo was also managing Argentina. So it is amazing that four years later, yeah. the two Same. teams get to the final. It's a very similar setup. The, the teams have changed somewhat, yeah. but like the core of everything is still the same. And well, it's, Carlos Bellardo, it's all about the backroom staff. For the, of course, uh, it's a whole team. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not just not about... Diego. I'll yeah. do it again, guys. I'll do it again. <laughs> Let him take what he wants. Let him snore what he wants. We'll do it again. At the end of that press conference, four years previous, <laughs> it set a fire under him. Carlos Bellardo was like, I will never be mugged off like that again. I did I did read a cool thing about um, Franz Beckenbauer. You might have this, but he was the first man in history to lose a final as a player and a coach. And then the first person to win it as a player and a coach. That's really good. I, I knew he was the first player to win it. Uh, sorry, not first, but one of two. It's, it's him and Mario Zaglo, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. As a player and a match. But I didn't, re- I'd never put two together. They both lost one yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's really interesting. That's, cool. that's, a, that's a good one. So this was vintage for England fans, but not vintage for footballing aesthetics. This is the lowest goals per game in World Cup history. It's weird, isn't it? That it's that. Is it just the romance of England? It must thing, be. It must be. But that must colour everything. great things in this World Cup. It's strange, isn't it? As in, I'm with you. I think that this is, like, when I think of the glory of the World Cup, I think of Mexico 1970. Yeah. When I think of, like, 
that is the purest World Cup. But yeah. this has the most like texture and depth is what I feel. Yeah. But that might be the England thing. So it also, up until 2006, had the most red cards in tournament history. Wow. 16 red cards. Wow. Uh, in 2006, that was beaten. Do you want to have a guess at how many were in 2006? How many was it in 90? 16. 21. 28. You're kidding me. They went ballistic. Absolutely That's ballistic. Crazy. So yeah, 2006 was the angry tournament. That's the Dan as well, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the Dan. Yeah. And it was also, was that 2010? I want to say, no, I think Holland and Spain was 2010, wasn't it? They got really dirty. Oh yeah, that was a nasty um, game, yeah. So I wanted to give context to the final because we're now going to deviate for probably the next 10 minutes of because course. in my notes, I've literally written, leave room for add to vamp about um, Italian 90. So just some things I want to talk about because <laughs> it's just too good. It's too rich uh, yeah, yeah. a vein, not to mine. So uh, Italy were keen to impress their home fans and threw away their usually defensive tactics to try and wow their supporters. Yeah, it was a big thing, wasn't it? Yeah, and it, yeah. and it kind of worked until it didn't work, if you know what I mean. Like mm. this was probably the best Italy to watch and romantic and yeah. attacking. And obviously Roberto Baggio was Roberto Baggio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, amazing and, and he would be kind of four years later still but nevertheless like there was something about the the deep blue of Italy going out and playing attacking football it was mm. quite refreshing to yeah. see instead of the Catanaccio which we've kind of spoken about yeah. Cameroon oh, mate. amazing underdogs yeah. that just kept on surprising great story of Roger Miller you know, 38 years old, 38 and, years old. and doing it. So he had internationally retired after being 34 at the previous tournament. Yeah. Do you know why he came out of international retirement? I don't know. The president of Cameroon of course. had a meeting with him and begged him, apparently, <laughs> to come out of international <laughs> retirement, and he did, and he scored well, he four goals. He was easily good enough. He was great. Four goals yeah. for a 38-year-old striker. Like yeah. People talk about, oh, Ronaldo's still amazing at 37, Messi yeah. at 35, Zlatan at 40. Yeah. But it's like, Roger Miller was doing it at 38 on a World Cup. Like that's, that's For a no team mean that feat. wasn't great. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely astounding that he did yeah. it. Um, you've mentioned it a couple of times, but Rene Higuita, the very crazy goalkeeper. That was a great moment. Coming yeah. out near the halfway line, getting robbed by Roger Miller, looking at his 38-year-old legs, trotting the run. And then what I noticed, because I rewatched it again earlier today, Roger Miller slots at home. Rene Higuita tries to chop him. Yeah, yeah it's does. nasty. Yeah, it nasty he's really yeah. lucky that he misses. Uh, oh, and Miller's celebration. That's By the corner thing. flag. Yeah, the of old, course. Every kid in school was doing that celebration. I can only imagine, but I always forget, like, was that uh, 90? Was that 86? But yeah, it was 1990. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the corner flag celebration. Yeah. All again, like images that are burned into your mind. Definitely. Minds. Yeah. The, the Italian team, I just wanted one more mention because we're looking at Roberto Baggio, Ancelotti, Baresi, Scalacci, Zenga, Maldini, a really oh, young course, Maldini, yeah, yeah, yeah. Donadoni, Bergami. Like it's just a vintage team, Italian yeah, yeah. team and 94 as well. There's a really good Italian team. So we're kind of seeing them have a resurgence after a bit of a quiet-ish yeah. decade. Yeah. Rijkaard. Good old Frank. And Voller. Well, in fairness, Holland were were defending European champions and one That's of the right. most dominant European championship wins ever. And there's, there was a lot of history between Germany and Holland nationally as well as on the football yeah, pitch. Yeah, yeah. But what I didn't realise, this won't surprise you, but does surprise me, I didn't realise that Rudy Voller got sent off as well as Rijkaard yeah, yeah. in that game. Yeah, both of them, yeah. I, poor Voller. He's just, well, I say that. He's been That's why it's funny. Game, but yeah, because they both got sent off, but Rijkaard runs past Voller and flobs in his yeah, hair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which, again, I can't believe that 
anyone listening to the podcast doesn't know, but it, yeah, a, a player literally, and it's not just like a little spit. No, it's like you say, phlegm, a full greenie. Yeah, yeah it's it is great. disgusting. Yeah. He proper launched it, and it's just Voller's hair makes it all the worse because it's the big curly perm. <laughs> big perm, yeah. You yeah, just yeah, think, yeah. even if he had had a short back in the sides, it would have been gross, but it would have been less comical. There's something very funny about Dennis, Lem- a blonde Dennis Lemenis, yeah, yeah. getting it in the back of the head. I don't think he realizes in the moment because he runs after him. He knows Riker. something has happened, doesn't well, I he? Think, I think Riker swears at him as he runs past him, and he runs after him, but it's great TV. Because as he oh, runs, yeah. he's just like... It's like, do you remember when Mo Farah won the gold in London Olympics? I remember that. And the, the guy, uh, he lies down on the floor and the guy has flobbed on the floor, a big oh, green, yeah. and his head is so close. To, <laughs> and he's just won 10,000 metre gold and yeah, the, the, the crowd's going nuts and everybody on TV's just like, is he going to roll in it? Is he going to roll in it? It's all you can see. It's like his one crowning moment. <laughs> Poor bloke. It's exactly like that. Is he going to notice that he's got a massive greenie in his perm? <laughs> uh, the only thing I wanted to mention before I let you talk about uh, England and the journey that we had, um, because again, like doing the notes for this, I was like, there's so much to write. It will take me forever to actually write out like, and there was this yeah, thing, and there yeah. was this thing. So I just wanted to see what came up kind of organically. But the last thing I wanted to say is that with the Italian 90, you were talking about the epic commentary. So obviously Barry Davis is part of it. But yeah. I think it, it may be just, obviously a few of these were used in three lines, the original. Yeah. Um, but I ju- and maybe it's just, I mean, you and I got a thing for commentary anyway, but John Watson and Barry Davis at their peak. Yes, definitely. Potentially through to Euro 96, but certainly after that, the, the newer uh, commentators were coming in. So like Platt's volley, great iconic commentary. you got got... Um, a lot that we use in the intro of the show. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the, the Lineker goal yeah. against Germany. And then you've got things like the penalty misses... Uh, uh, Pearson Waddle missing the penalty, um, you, Gascoigne getting booked, the whole um, commentary around Lineker's keep an eye on him yeah. uh, thing to Robson. And in the end, the German bench get up and protest at Gascoigne's last challenge. And uh, he's so involved in this game. He has actually, Gascoigne, got a yellow card. Now, oh dear. Oh dear me. He's going to be out of the final if England get there. For the tackle on number 14, Berthold, Gascoigne has had his second yellow card of the competition. And here is a moment that almost brings tears to his eyes. It's just a lot of great moments like this World Cup for me, kind of, um, obviously the Kanija thing I mentioned already. Baggio's goal against Czechoslovakia, great commentary yes, again. That's a good. that's a good pull. Um, so yeah, it's just a lot in um, in this World Cup where it's just like, it's just two powerhouses of commentary in their greatest moment. It's really, this would be incredibly niche, but I'd love to do a tour around England doing DJ club sets intermixed <laughs> yes. with like commentary just for the 90s generation. I would like, never go to a club except for something like that's that. That's what I mean. Like you'd have Oasis and Blur on the speakers in, <laughs> into like interwoven with bits of Barry I Davies. I would bloody love that. That's what, I just think it'd be the perfect yeah, way to have like would be a, awesome. a club night. Yeah. Um, so with all of that being said, Obviously, as an England fan, we can't talk about Italian yeah. 90 without talking about England's journey and everything that came with it. You are the most passionate man I know when it comes to what 1990 did for... <laughs> do you like the dramatic pause there? Yeah, thanks. What 1990 did for English football. But for those that maybe don't know the contest that might not be uh, English listeners, like, what did 1990 mean for England? Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to edit me or cut me off. Um, 
yeah, you, you said English football. I think it goes bigger than that. We've mentioned this a little bit in the Christmas podcast, but the the context for those that weren't alive or those that don't remember is that English football was in tatters. We were banned from Europe. We had a hooligan nature that had taken over our club football game. We were banned from Europe for that for that reason. Um, so, yeah, we were a very isolated footballing force. And because of that, our great national game, I think people would begun to disassociate themselves yeah there wasn't there wasn't fondness for football no even even margaret thatcher referred to um football fans as football hooligans um, which got a lot of um criticism because she obviously boxed everybody into one thing but it was it was the reputation that football was getting yeah um so what 1990 did was reset it as our national game and i think in some ways it reset our national Identity, because you know we're getting deep into it, but you know the you know poll tax riots, mm-hmm. um, the miners' strikes, a lot of stuff in the in the late eighties, which would you know put a real gloom over our country. Yeah, the Thatcherite era. Yeah, exactly. And I think in in some ways, certainly you and I grew up in an era where uh, the one thing that seemed to unite our country was sport, uh, and then initially it was gen- it was just football. It, it, to be honest, until. Um, the London Olympics. I think it was just football. Yeah, no, um, I agree. Was the really odd good. the odd thing? That's a really good reference. Um, but then I think, in a way, we we learned that it encapsulates. You know, it can, that feeling can come around a load of things. Uh, but certainly, the England football team. Every major tournament after 1990 was like a country came together, and that was because of what happened in these seven games, yeah. or six games. And I think there's the romance of it because of like Bobby Robson as well being the manager. Yeah, it was who great, like yeah. to look at was like your avuncular uncle, kind of like. You know, has he really got it? Does he really deserve to be the England manager? Yeah, yeah. And then this being a redemption of sorts for him. Yeah. Um. And the romance, the romance of if like Bobby Robson was the uncle or the granddad that everybody loved, then like Paul Gascoigne was the younger brother that you just wanted to look after. That exactly. Would, like, get yeah, you in trouble and was a little. Put. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, there was such affection for this. He was a firework on the on, on a football pitch. There's no other way of describing him, really. Well, he's a firework off the pitch as well. Yeah, true. I mean, before yeah. it got all nasty and dark and all the rest of it. That you know, he's obviously had his struggles in the last few years. 1990 really was the best of Gaza in the sense that yeah. it, he had an environment uh, that allowed him to be the best version of himself without it getting nasty or messy. And there's great stories of him like playing tennis with an American couple the night before <laughs> the Belgium game. Which went to extra time. Yeah. Uh, and there's a great story about him um, in the, I think it's the 13th minute of the second half of extra time. If you see Gaza gets the ball just on the edge of the penalty box, you can tell this World Cup's ingrained in my memory. I was about to say that's so specific. Yeah, and he, he goes on a run and he's got the better of both of the, the players that um, he, uh, you know, he's going past. And he has said previously that he looked up and saw there were two other um, uh, defenders to get past. And in his head, he was like, if this was the first minute I could take him, but I'm knackered and he just falls over and it's not a foul. Yeah. Like it's literally just, it looks like he just goes, Oh, <laughs> he's literally yeah, powered it's down. hilarious. And that is the free kick that he then chips into the box for Platt to volley home. And oh, win that's in, great. In the last minute. That's so good. So it's funny because Bobby Robinson's like, I can't believe I found him playing tennis the night before, blah, blah, blah. And Gaza's like, well, it's because I was playing tennis. I was too tired to take on those last two players. We got the free kick, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But he had an answer for everything. 
Yeah, of course he did. Yeah. But again, it was it was just the beauty of watching this guy. And ironically, or not ironically, but because of everything, like you say, that got dark and everything, it's almost his performance throughout this World Cup and the emotion that he shows when he realises he's suspended, sorry, if we get to the final. It's that sense of like, he then becomes the benchmark that every footballer, especially our golden generation in quotes in the early 2000s to mid 2000s, yeah. gets measure against where it's like, are they actually playing for the shirt? Like until yeah. until Beckham post 98, yeah, until right. Beckham in the early yeah. 2000s, there wasn't really an, an English footballer for probably 10 years no, and I think that that's seemed why, to care about the shirt as much as Gazza did. And I think that's why Beckham's so loved by yeah. people that supported England in that time. And, uh, you know, Beckham hasn't endeared himself with some of the decisions he's made. He's a bit of, he's a, bit of a ponce and a bit of a brand whore and all the rest yeah. of it. It, but 2001, yeah, Greece, like you, you yeah. got you got me, yeah, exactly. Like that's that's the that's the fickleness of football fans. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. And it, interesting, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit with that. Is not just Gaza, um, but this England team. There was something so likable about them, not yeah. like now, not today's, like you know where they like eat lads and you're laughing along with yeah. them, but just they took us on an adventure. I remember um, after the Belgium game, Waddle and Butcher. Mm-hmm. doing the famous dance yeah, yeah. to the England fans. And like t-shirts printed out, let's all have a party mm-hmm. uh, after that. And uh, like, it was just, yeah. And do you remember the, um, uh, what's his name? Jim Rosenthal, the ITV. Commentator. Uh, yeah, so yeah. he got access to the England camp and they presented, Chris Waddle told ITV that it was Gaza's birthday and it wasn't. Is this around the swimming pool? Yeah. Or I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they got a chocolate cake for him. And uh, like they're all laughing at him, and we'd never seen anything like this. Like there'd never been that kind of access for sports. You know, you know, people had never been that real. Yeah. And Waddle gets the chocolate cake and just throws it in Gaza's face, mm-hmm. uh, and then he dives in the pool and takes Jim <laughs> Rosenthal with him. And it's just like it just wasn't seen. Like, no. like that hadn't happened before. So it wasn't just the performance. I think it was the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, in some ways, people say, "Oh, it's typical England celebrating losers," but the parade for a team that just got to the semis, was unbelievable the amount of people, the coach, the bus parade. And I think it, it loses its shine because we've seen such, because of what 90 did and the, the foundations it lay, it's laid, we've seen heroic returns for finalists, semi-finalists England, even though we've lost yeah. since, like yeah. the kind of 2018, 2022 yeah, yeah. team that have come back have been rightly celebrated. But, but not like that. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and and those celebrations would never have happened were it not for what the team did yeah. in 1990. yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about the Germany game or not? It's entirely up to you. Because again, it's one of those things like Maradona's two goals that have been covered a lot. But yeah, I, I don't know what to say other than all I can see is Lineker pointing uh, to his eyes. Back <laughs> yeah. That's like, it when I think of 1990 yeah, yeah, in, yeah. that's what I think of. It was such a multifaceted game. There was so much in that game. Like Germany were a good team and they, you know, they were worthy winners of the World Cup. Yeah. And Lineker's often said, which I agree with, if we'd beaten Germany, we would have won the final. Um, England were better than Argentina. Yes, um, uh, but it's just similar to the France in the last World Cup. Like we came up against the best team in the tournament, yeah, and we very nearly did a did number. It, yeah, but England, you know, the the German goal pull, off Paul Parker's ass and like, flicked over the top of Shilton. Like eleven yeah. year old me was heartbroken with that. That it brought that whole kind of like England are unlucky. I guess in some ways we just kind of like you're looking for things. It, yeah, it's a it's like a same with England. There's a narrative that you would have grown up with that. I guess started here which was England are unlucky yeah we're, we're hard yeah, done by exactly there's always something that doesn't go our way which is true for any football match if you watch it long mm-hmm. enough but I remember Waddle hit the post uh deep in extra time against Germany and Platt did a gaza yeah <laughs> referencing another hard luck moment uh, sliding in and just missed the ball um Lineker had a chance to win it 
and you kind of look, you look back on those and then it started that narrative of there's always a reason metatarsals or sending yeah. offs or you know crossing the line yeah miss penalties yeah crossing the lines if that would have been yeah, exactly. that but you know all those things is this kind of like we are a little bit self-pitying because of the, that narrative yeah where we just didn't we didn't get it done when we had the chance to get it mm-hmm. done that, that's, that's football isn't it unfortunately but it is Lineker in the BBC Sounds podcast I've listened to recently, he said it's the only thing he still looks back on in his career and goes, ah, oh, that, that, that is that is a, a regret. Oh. So talking about how great this squad was, I am wary. I don't want to turn this Sorry, into yeah. an hour-long podcast, but I think it's important for the place this holds in our heart um, to the point that, do you remember when One Night in Turin, which is a documentary, yeah, came out? Yeah. You organised, I think it was about 15 of us last. Oh, really? We wow. watched it opening night. You might not remember this. Yeah. You had organised for the night it became available. Yeah. We all came round to yours and 15 of us like cracked open a few days and watched it the moment yeah, it came out. Yeah, that sounds like me, yeah. Yeah, so that was kind of the epicness of it. But um, I want to play a little quiz with you, Ad, because it's been a little uh, while. Yeah, let's do a quiz. There are 23 points on offer. Is this going England squad? If you oh, can man. name... As many of England's squad as possible. Okay. And you can do this however you want. You can go through positions. Are you going to count? I will count. Okay. Shilton. Correct. Paul Parker. Correct. Mark Wright. Correct. Terry Butcher. Correct. Des Walker. Correct. Stuart Pearce. Correct. Trevor Stephen. Correct. Paul Gascoigne. Correct. Brian Robson. Yes. David Platt. Yes. Chris Waddle. Yes. John Barnes. Yes. Gary Lineker. Yes. Peter Beardsley. <laughs> yes. Someone else started. Bit Beardsley came on later in the tournament. Uh, if I remember correctly, he was playing Division Two at the time. Was he really? I might be wrong. Beardsley's top though, isn't he? N- sorry, no, not Peter Beardsley. The striker you're missing. Oh, uh, oh, think. Steve Ball. Steve Ball. Um, and then it's it's all, and that's basically the starting eleven. So it's all the squad players. So I would struggle, I think. There's a Man United player, Neil. Oh, Neil Webb. Yes, very good. Uh, there's, you've already mentioned Trevor Stephen. Trevor Stephen. Gary Stevens. Gary Stevens. Uh, who else are we missing here? Uh, oh, uh, the, Chris Woods, Dave, Dave Besson. Chris Woods. Dave Besson, interestingly. He came out. Yeah. Look at this knowledge. Yeah. And who did he replace? Brian Robson. No. Is there another keeper Dave- home? Yes, he Seaman. did. David oh, Seaman. Really? No went way. home. Oh, young slum. Dave Seaman. Very, yeah. Uh, wow. From what I can tell, I think you've pretty much got everyone. I think there is. I don't know. Steve McMahon. Ah, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, he gives the ball away for Sheedy's goal against Ireland. There we go. Yeah. Uh, but I think, Addy Max, I'm literally just looking through the list now. I don't think. That's why I was you, number four in the world. Oh, I think, you've, I think you've missed. Oh, you, sorry, I'll have to go and edit this. You may have missed this guy, Defender. He only had three caps for England at this point. Mark Wright? No. I don't know. Tony... Oh, Dorigo. You might have mentioned him. No, I didn't. Not. I didn't. Yeah, no, Tony no, Dorigo. No, yeah. But I think you've mentioned 23 players. That's quite that is impressive, yeah, Adi Max. 40 years ago, 30 years ago, yeah. Well done. I'll take that. Nicely done. So with that, let's actually get into oh, yeah, sorry. the World Cup final. You just cannot write scripts like this. As we've mentioned, it was a Germany-Argentina final, a rematch uh, of four years previously. Argentina were, interestingly, missing four starters through either suspension or injury, including Claudio Canigia, who did not play in the final, oh, right. uh, which I never realised. But, um, yeah, Argentina were kind of stripped down to their bare bones. Yeah. By the end of this game, 
half their team would have been unavailable for the next match. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, That's an uh, Argentina tactic. Exactly. So yeah. West Germany, uh, alongside Italy, were one of the few teams to attack throughout this tournament. Obviously, England weren't particularly bad either, as yeah. in we tried to be attractive. But ultimately, a lot of teams, as we saw because of the few amount of goals scored, were very defensive, very kind of keep it tight at the back, try and nick 1-0 wins. Yeah. But Germany tried to kind of... Um, be the antagonists and try to make things happen. And this final was uh, no no different to that. So three minutes in, Rudy Voller misses a toe poke and uh, pokes it wide for, following a Bremer free kick. Andres Bremer. Andres Bremer. Uh, on five minutes, Germany have a three, free kick just outside the area where it's driven into the wall and then the rebound is put into Goikachea's hands. Goikachea, yeah. Goikachea. He's, uh, he was... You told me this, I think. He's crazy, wasn't he? Didn't he predict the end of the world and build No, a- that was uh, Argentina goalkeeper, but that was in the 2000s. That was Carlos ah. Roa. Ah, I think okay. in two, I think in... Uh, Sorry, Goikachea, I thought that was you. I'm pretty certain World Cup 2002, no, yeah, I think you're right, Carlos yeah. Roa's in goal, and then when that tournament ends, he takes his family into a underground bunker for like two years. Fantastic. Absolutely mental. But yeah, so Goikachea manages to make his first save. Before 15 minutes had gone, Germany had taken six shots on target and had an appeal for handball turned down by referee and remember the name Edgardo Codesal despite Klinsmann going absolutely ballistic so 15 minutes in Germany have had six shots on target one penalty appeal turned down on 20 minutes Codesal turns down another penalty appeal for a foul on Rudy Voller so Germany are just all over Argentina which as we've discussed Argentina only scoring five goals in the entire tournament they were basically from the start trying to get to penalties where they backed themselves so before the game has even begun um, with the players that they're missing, they're not even attempting to, to go forward. They're just sitting yeah. every man behind the wall, which is a shame when you've got a player like Maradona. They can get nothing going. So Argentina's could not get a grip on the game at all. It was all Germany. Argentina's only chance of note in the entire first half was a free kick that Maradona took in a very dangerous position just outside the box, but he couldn't get it on target. Hits it over. And that is the only time in the first half that Argentina threatened even wow. close to the Germany goal. So it is still nil-nil going into uh, the second half, but... It resumes with the same rhythm. And in the 58th minute, Argentina goalkeeper Goikachea again appeared to take down Argentala. Argentala, yeah. Yeah, Argentala. Um, inside the penalty area. But again, the referee Edgardo Codesal turns down a third shout for a penalty uh, oh. penalty for Germany. Argentina defender Pedro Monzon had only been on the pitch for 20 minutes before what, Ad? Do you know? He gets sent off. He gets sent yeah. off. The first man to ever be sent off in a World Cup final. So he's come on at half time to kind of... Uh, rest the legs of some of the Argentine defenders who've been run ma- ragged yeah. and uh, 20 minutes in a horrible studs up challenge on Jürgen Klinsmann which let's face it you can't you can't be blamed for trying to take <laughs> a piece of uh, Jürgen Klinsmann with you but yeah. it did leave him with a 15 centimetre scar for the rest of his life so wow. it's a truly nasty tackle um, he won't forget in that final was he? no so unfortunately Argentina who were already up against it and now down to 10 men and they are desperate clinging on to try and get to en- extra time penalties so yeah. despite Germany's utter dominance it's still nil-nil at this point in time. So six minutes from full time, Coldesau incurs the wrath of the Argentinians by awarding West Germany a questionable penalty for Sensini's sliding tackle on Rudy Voller. So fourth time lucky. Yeah. And I actually I don't think it's that controversial in as much as I don't necessarily think it's a foul, but when you look at it at real speed, yeah. I think it's 50-50. I can understand why yeah, the yeah. referee's given it. It's not like a colossal so, shame. And also with the weight of the previous shouts it's going to be psychologically there's no way that isn't in the the ref's mind exactly which is why I wanted to bring it up the fact that he turned down Mm. three penalty shouts before finally giving the fourth one and so Andreas Bremer who we've spoken about steps up obviously scored in the penalty shootout doesn't he take it right footed 
Yes, he does. And he's left-footed. Yes. Hugely He could, he could take it both. He yeah. was astounding, like yeah. a player who literally could, could do yeah. uh, with either foot. Uh, he takes, keeper goes the right way, but Wojciechaj can't get to it. Yeah. So th- it was then left for Argentine uh, player Gustavo De Zotti, already on a yellow from the first half, rec- receives a straight red for hauling down Jurgen Koller with what the New York Times described at the time as a neck tackle right out of professional wrestling. Wow. So second man sent off. Second man oh, sent man, off, I which I never remembered. No, I didn't I know knew that. The, I knew the, I didn't know the player, but I knew that Argentina yeah, lost yeah. a player, yeah. but they lose two wow. because Argentina have just lost their heads by this point. Jürgen Koller is trying to slow the game down, so he's picked the ball up following right, a foul, right, okay. and he's not giving it back. And uh, yeah, so De Zotti takes it upon himself to basically put him in a headlock and throw him to the floor. But it was controversial referee Codesal who blew the whistle in the end, and Germany were rightfully crowned world champions, yeah. 1-0 against a very dour and poor Argentina squad. Yeah. So with that, we go into our extra time. Well, you have just witnessed 90 of the most gripping minutes of European football you will ever, ever see. But the good news is there's more to come. Just a few facts for you with this extra time. So the German head coach Franz Beckenbauer said uh, of the game, there were no doubts whatsoever who was going to win. For 90 minutes, we attacked Argentina and there was no feeling of any danger that a goal would ever be scored against us. As I saw it, we outplayed them from beginning to end. Beckenbauer said that the penalty was not key to the game because in any case we would have scored, even if it had taken extra time. 1-0 by a penalty doesn't give a fair idea of the game. We could have won 3-0. I don't remember a single chance Argentina had to score a goal. He's Um, right there. Well, he's so right that Argentina had one shot on target in the entire 90 minutes. Germany had 16. It was a whitewash beyond all comparison. I remember it being reported as a very poor final. I think that's why people felt that if England had beaten Germany, they would have in Argentina but yeah I mean this is not the Argentina that tore England to shreds no, four no. years previously no. I think that everyone is right to think that we would have been able to get something yeah. um, especially with the team we had at the time so West Germany became the first team to play in three consecutive finals because they played in 82, 86 and then 90 it was only repeated by which other nation three consecutive finals yeah Italy nope it starts next tournament Oh, the next tournament. Uh, Brazil. Correct. Brazil, 94, 98, 2002. This was the first time that a European side had ever beaten a South American side in the final. Right. Which was interesting enough. Good stat. Uh, The defensive football on show was a major contributor to the back pass rule being introduced two years later, alongside three points for a win. So that had been introduced in England in 1981. But the 1994 World Cup finals is the first one that uses three points for a win. Three points for a win, right, yeah. So that's the time like the world adopts it, for a better phrase. Um, One journalist said about the game, this game did little for football, but there was one consolation. Had the Argentines lifted the World Cup with two wins and five goals in their seven yeah. matches, it would have been a catastrophe for the game. I thought that a minute ago. Yeah. At least their awful approach to Italian 90 had gone unrewarded. So, yeah, yeah, crazy stuff that they could have been the worst champions ever. Yeah, if Brazil, totally agree. If Brazil 1970 are the... the the pinnacle this is the kind of nadir that's a good question for our next christmas special who is the worst champions and then the final thing is uh we've mentioned him on the previous podcast but add who won the golden boot for this tournament oh scalacci yeah totally yeah, scalacci yeah. interesting who fact came from nowhere so yeah. he had never scored for Italy before the 1990 World Cup and he managed just one international goal afterwards. No I looked up his international career it was something like 16 caps and seven goals. Like just it's crazy, yeah. isn't it? Didn't he score. just captured the moment. Just perfectly, yeah. Some great goals, mind. Yeah, exactly. Like he clearly had the technique but he was not a, a goal scorer. He wasn't one of those people that would bang in 30 goals a season. Weird, yeah. Please join us next week. Thanks very much for that one, Addy. It was, it was emotional. There is one more thing. 
it's been emotional. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, join us next week as we talk about the 1994 final, Diana Ross and the USA. <laughs>